Coming to you from the Eon Project Studios, overlooking the vast, pristine, green acreage of Primrose Village. Greetings from this wooded gem of the Blackstone Valley. You're listening to Experts of Nothing with Mike and Jay. Hola. I'm still impressed by that opening. Oh, thanks. You know, it's good to have power back. You know, well, we, we went a while without a show. We and did. it's not uh, our fault. We did. We had that uh, very rare... Uh, Bombo Genesis, which <laughs> is like a convergence of storms Bombo coming up Genesis. here, coming out of nowhere. It sounds like an album by Phil Collins. Oh, Bombo Genesis, not Peter Gabriel, the original lead singer of Genesis. What if it was a con- what if it was a confluence of Peter Gabriel and and Phil Collins? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually had a dream the other night that Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel were in the dream. What? Yes, this is amazing. Yes, and I was, that was completely. I random. was sitting at a bar. And Phil Collins was was singing karaoke. <laughs> he seems like a good dude. And Phil Peter Collins. Gabriel walked in. Peter Gabriel seems like a dick. And he was pissed. He yeah. said, why is he singing Genesis songs? And they got into a fight in the bar. It was crazy. It's karaoke. There's open license. You can sing whatever you want. That's true. Well, welcome to another edition of the Eon Project. Welcome again. And uh, we, we are. this is our third episode in our new studios. Here we are. We're back in the uh, the new studio. And uh, Is it so, studio or studios? Like if there's more than one? No, this is the studio. This the, is only one, so it's this one. This is the studio. It's the studio. Yeah, so I, I'm doing... Stu, stu, studio. Oh, full circle. <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> so we're doing a little work here at the studio. You know, I, I'm, I'm uh, renovating the bathroom oh. here. And, uh, you know, I bought a new toilet for the bathroom. Oh, you know, fixing a toilet is hard. And you know, what the to- a toilet. you know what it says on the box of the toilet? I don't. It says luxury height. Ooh, on the toilet. What does that mean? When it means it your feet don't go numb when you sit down on it. Oh, you know how you're on the you're on the toilet. Yeah. Maybe you're reading a the book of Genesis, and oh. uh, you're in there for a while. Again, Genesis. Yes. Huh? Yep. And um, you're in there you're in there for a while, and then you you know your feet go numb. It does happen, and you get those red marks on your knees. So do you think it's lower or higher than a normal toilet? I would say higher. Yeah. Yeah. If it's too low, that's not luxury. Well, I haven't tested it out yet. Luxury we'll, we'll is high. It. Yeah. Well, on last week's episode, well, not last week. The last episode we did was about Halloween. We talked about Halloween traditions That's and, true. and uh, horror movies and everything all related to, to Halloween. And it was a pretty good show, I thought. How was your Halloween, by the way? Uh, uneventful. Really? Uneventful. You know, the kids have these, uh, I, have, I have multiple children, mm. and they get all excited about Halloween, and they talk about it for weeks, weeks and weeks yes. ahead, ahead of it. The night comes, and they're all excited, and you go out there for about half an hour, 45 minutes, and then they're like, I want to go home. Yep, they're tired. They want to come back. They don't want to like, eat yeah, all their candy. There's more houses, more candy to get. No. no. So I did do the uh, the Milk Dud Challenge. Oh, you did? <clears throat> I successfully managed to uh, insert 72 milk duds in my mouth. That's a lot of milk Without duds. choking. Wow. To, to death. I did choke slightly, but not... Did you videotape this? And put, I, no, I didn't, but oh, I started to drool caramel and chocolate everywhere. It's probably good that you didn't videotape it, because if uh, you would have passed away, that would have been bad. I was able to hold it down. It was delicious. Oh, good for you. Well, yeah. you know what? In, in the theme of the Halloweens... Well, before I, I want to talk... I don't want to talk about something about uh, kind of a corollary Ooh, to last episode. That's but, a good word. Yes, but, but before we do that, let's tease today's show. Let's do it. So today we're going to be talking about a very uh, infamous case from many, many years ago, but it's still, it, it's creepy as hell to this day, mm. and that's the Velisca Axe Murders. That's right. Uh, which took place many, as I said, uh, soon after the turn of the century. Actually, believe it or not, it does have some, it has some slight parallels to the Amityville case, and we'll talk that's more correct. about that as we go along. It surely does. But before we get into the Velisca Axe Murder case, I want to talk to you about, we talked about horror movies last last show. We did, a little bit, yep. And, uh... I, I had a horror movie experience that I want to discuss with you. Let's hear it. So, I was, uh, you've probably heard of this. Is a movie, a very famous movie came out last year. It's called Get Out. I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it. Okay, it was a movie called Get Out. It's supposed to be a horror movie or some sort of thriller. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. Every single person you ever talk to, 
in person or here on the radio or uh, reviews on Facebook. Everyone loved this movie. Everybody. Okay. Universally loved by everyone. Yeah. It's groundbreaking. It, uh, it, it, it's, it's something that's avant-garde mm. and something that changes the face of horror forever. So I decided to watch it. So you're going in there with high expectations. The right? highest. Oh. Great, great expectations. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is a, a literary reference because yep. we talk all educated. So I go in there with high expectations. I watch Get Out, I, I, and I actually made an event out of it. I was I was find myself alone in my home, which very seldomly happens. Did you have clothes on? I did have clothes on. All right, and uh, it was it was a dark setting, mm. and I set the set the anyway. I started the movie. That movie was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Really? The and and supposedly, I'm not even joking. The hyperbole on some people, but they said that the, this is the greatest movie of the year. Should have won best. Should win best picture. Now, where do you think this is coming from? Now, I, I, don't, I, I know nothing about the movie, so where do you think it's? I don't from? know. And, and the, it was directed by uh, Jordan Peele, who was uh, of Key and Peele. Oh, who, that's who, why I like Key and Peele. That's why. But the, the, yeah, so there's, and I don't know if it's you know how there's there's a there's a uh, there's a phenomenon today, and that's if some people think that they should like it, then everybody likes it. Right. Not. And if you're a dissenting voice, then you're somehow something wrong with you. Right. But the the Peel guy is, uh, you know, he's hip. Yeah. He's uh, all the all the kids love him. Yes. You know, he does the comedy. So for him right. to do a a horror movie was probably right. outside the box for it, him, maybe. It, yeah. And it, you know, what it reminded me of when you're watching the movie, and I'm not going to give it away because it is still, you know, it's not really a mystery type movie. It's a thriller, mm. but it looks like an episode of. The Twilight Zone, or it's a show that you've seen before. Like it seems like everything is familiar to you. You've yeah. seen this before. Yeah. And they say, "Oh no, you can't see anything coming." And it's very, sus- it's not suspenseful at all. You see everything coming a mile away. Uh, stereotypes abound. Yeah. Within this film, uh, I give it a three thumbs down. So I saw an equally hard picture last night, oh. and um, I actually, and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you I got about twenty to twenty five minutes into it. Oh. And I couldn't take it any longer. Oh yeah. So it had a big name star in it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And I have his, heard of Tom it's Cruise. It's his latest Jack Reacher uh, film, the sequel. You know, uh, I thought I saw a movie called Jack Reacher once, and it was a pornography. Oh, no, that was Jack Reach Around. Around. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, Jack Reacher, uh, not good, uh, hor- horrible acting. And finally, for the first time <laughs> ever, I noticed that Tom Cruise is really starting to show his age. Yeah. You know, he seemed like an ageless wonder. Is he in his 50s? Oh, it's gotta be. It's gotta 50s. be in his mid to late fifties. No, yeah, you would think so. But uh, no, it wasn't good. The the it's almost like the the directors or the makers of the film decided to do the complete opposite of what would happen in real life. <laughs> and it's it's so outlandish. And it's and it has a military theme, so I, I kind of picked those movies apart a little sure. bit more than others. Yeah. And uh, those those scenes were unrealistic. Uh, they, they were bumbling around. It was just, it was uh, ridiculous. But I, you didn't see the whole movie. You turned it off. I didn't because I got severe diarrhea from the <laughs> from watching it. it. It caused some sort of strange reaction within my body. You should go to your doctor and tell you that a movie caused diarrhea. I ran to the bathroom and, uh, and and turned it off. I left a scathing review on Amazon. As oh, well, I wonder if the I wonder if it's going to make it to Tom Cruise himself. That would be cool. I wonder if he's going to be concerned with what Jay. Maybe had he'll to say. come into the studio. That would be cool. Discuss. You know what? And actually, this leads me to my next rant. Mm. Brief rant. So on the way over here, I'm listening to the radio. And this is something that has bothered me for a long time. So they give away these, you know, they have these radio contests. So, yeah. you know, you win $100. And, like, that's not, it's not really not yep. that much money these days. But but on the way over here, I heard that they're having a contest where you can meet celebrities. Oh. 
what is the point of a meet and greet with celebrities? I don't understand it. Like, what are you supposed to talk about? Well, what you, do you think they want to talk no, to you? you? Just, you meet them, you see them, you What's take the a point selfie of that? with them. What is the point? So, like, oh, so you're friends now? Look at me, I met Barry Manilow. You hang out with him now, you're buddies? Yep. He doesn't care who you are. No, he doesn't. He could care less if you get hit by a bus on your way out of the venue. No, he couldn't he care He doesn't less. care. So, and that, to me, that would be... I would never. I would refuse the prize. If I won, I would refuse the prize. Let's say, for instance, you won a you won a contest, right? And the contest was you get to meet Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, what would you do? Would you go do that? Uh, we'd probably talk about uh, uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. What a great yeah. movie that was in the eighties. You think they care? They don't want to be there. They don't want to talk to you. No. So I don't understand. Sister it'd, Act. It'd be incredibly awkward. Sister I think. Act Two. We could redo some of the musical numbers. That would be awesome. No, no celebrity. Me- I've met celebrities before uh, tangentially. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's a big word. And uh, and in certain circumstances, I've never been impressed by a celebrity. No, never. No. They're just they're just normal normal folk. Mm. Actually, kind of snooty a lot of times. A lot of times. And it's just not something that I'm interested in. Well, we're going to get into the Velisca axe murders uh, right now. But, but just a quick second before we do, about halfway through the show, we're going to uh, try to get um, uh, Frank from the door store on the phone. Oh, Frank, yeah. Uh, Frank, uh, he did the one commercial with us, and he had a Our huge catastrophe. Our former sponsor, yeah. Um, the door store, uh, you know, it's comprised entirely of wood. Sure. And it burned to the ground. Goes up like a matchstick. So we're going to try to get him on the, get him on the line and uh, get an update from Frank, see where he's at, see how he's doing. He hurt oh. himself in the fire. Oh, no. And uh, we'll, we'll get him on the horn. Hopefully Frank is okay. All right, so let's set the scene. Let's set it. Small town, Villisca, Iowa. It just sounds creepy. Villisca. Villisca. Villisca is actually, it originates from an Indian word, Wolisca, meaning evil spirit. Wow, so you live in a town yep. called Evil Spirit. That's right. That sounds uh, foreboding. So I don't know if you've ever been to Iowa. I've never been to Iowa. Uh, I haven't either, but it's a great state, I hear. Yeah. Um, it's reminiscent of Indiana, which I've been to many a time. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, flat plains, uh, lots of cornfields. Iowa. What's in Iowa? Yeah, corn. What do they do there? Nah, do they you do know, they, they, uh, they, they shuck. They shuck They corn? grow. I wonder they, if they uh, throw the corn at each other. Like some sort of... Some sort of game of tag. That would be Corn fun. tag. So, Villisca, Villisca, Iowa, in the early 1900s, uh, it was a little town of about 2,500 residents. So, there there weren't really a whole lot of people there. I nope. think it was like four or five, six square miles. It was a uh, it was a small town, and it's located in Montgomery County, Iowa, if anybody knows where that is. No. No one knows where that is. An interesting historical side note, though. During World War II, Montgomery County, Iowa, lost more men per capita than any other county in America. Wow. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. However, they were probably all in the same boat. That yeah, could could have been. Anyway. This is like the Sullivan brothers? Yeah. Everybody was on the same ship. Um, so this is overshadowed, unfortunately, by uh, the horrific mass murder that occurred in the year 1912. 1912. So the house where these axe murders, uh, yes, they were axe murders, that took place, that we're going to talk a little bit more about here, is actually on the uh, Register of Historic Places currently. Oh. Because it's, uh, it's been restored, and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. So obviously the town itself... Uh, has struggled over the years with the with the stigma of these axe murders uh, and things of that sort. So, mm-hmm. uh, as you're going to see, it, it was it, it was a travesty uh, beyond words. Okay. So about 97 years ago, 98, 99, 100 years ago. That's a long time. Long time ago, over 100 years ago now, right? Because it's what year is this? 2017. 17. And it happened in 1912. Yeah. So 105. So over 100 years ago. Two adults, six. Uh, Innocent children were found murdered in their beds. Two adults and six children. In their Velisca farmhouse bed. Wow. So let's set the background a little bit on this. So I think what we're going to do, too, as throughout throughout the discussion of the murders, um, we're going to interject with possible suspects along the way. Right. Um, because this to this day, this murder, rem, this axe murder remains unsolved. Right. Um, Not for lack of suspects, though. Because no. we're going to get into that and talk. 
and talk a lot. This, you know, and one of the things I think we're going to approach it as, and a lot of shows have done, a lot of shows like ours have talked about the Velisca Axe murders, and they usually focus on a couple of things. They usually focus on the barbarity of the crimes, which was horrific and mm. disgusting. But they also, because a lot of true crime shows kind of revel in the uh, yeah. in the gore and stuff, and that's not really our thing. Uh, or they focus on the paranormal aspects of the, of the of the case, which it's a very famous, supposedly haunted location. Right. So they usually go one of those two things. I think we're we're approaching it kind of down the middle. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about the murders themselves. We're gonna talk about the suspects a little bit about the the investigation and stuff like that. And then we'll and then we'll get into the paranormal stuff. That's right. And and as a um, you know, a disclaimer. Uh, yeah, know, definitely. We're gonna talk about some horrific axe murders. So. If you don't want your little children to hear this, yeah, uh, involving children too, which is never—it's not a funny thing. You can just send sure. them away to have them go do the milk dud challenge. Uh, uh, no, I wouldn't recommend program. they do the milk dud challenge un- unsupervised. Unsupervised? No, no, don't do that. Probably not a good we idea. We don't want any kids choking. No. So on June 9th, nineteen twelve, uh, you know, it was a, a warm, quiet evening in the Iowa town of Villisca, as probably most evenings were. Sure, in June, sure. At around nine thirty p.m. at the local uh, Presbyterian church, the children's program came to an end. That they were, that the that's late for the, a children's the program. family was taking part. In. Well, that wasn't much going on. No, you know, in the sat uh, in the entertainment middle of the summer, you know, around the summer uh, solstice, the days are long, mm-hmm. and uh, so you get to stay out late. All right. So the people started on the way home. Everybody's going about their separate ways. People going back to their different farmhouses and whatever it is that they do in Iowa. They go home. Sarah Moore, who was the matriarch of the family that is going to be dispatched. Uh, was she was also the program coordinator of this of this event? And her family, as I stated, had begun to walk home, and she was joined by her husband Josiah, which is a great name, Josiah, and her children Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. So as you can see, there's a Herman Moore in this family. Herman Moore, <clears throat> not the famous Detroit Lions. I was going to say he's a wide receiver for the Detroit yeah, he's, Lions. He's pretty good too. Yeah. Also among them were two young uh, female house guests, Lena and Ina Stillinger. Um, they were, you know, friends of the Moore children, and they decided they were going to have a sleepover at the Moore home that evening. The name Stillinger is actually from a uh, mm. uh, a show called Oz that aired on HBO. It's about prison. Yeah. One of the ba- main bad guys, a guy by the name of J.K. Simmons, whom I've met personally, by the way. Oh. Plug. You and him share uh, a lot. Uh, we sh- share some screen time. We shared you? some. No, we didn't share screen time. We <clears throat> shared a van uh, from oh. the, from the uh, set area. To, no, from the uh, staging area to the set area on him. On the very famous movie that I was a part of. Did you say anything to him? No, he looked at me funny though. Like, what are you doing here? And then I actually stood next to him as we were reviewing some video too. But I don't think he could. I don't think he could pick me out of a lineup. And you and you were awestruck by his. Uh... No, he was seemed like a he seemed like an okay dude. I guess. Kind no, of... he's he's jacked for an old guy. He is. He is. I've it, seen pictures of him working out. Yeah, he's he lost weight, but in Oz he was a little chunker. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. That's di- okay. To digress. So that was the ninth. On the next morning, June 10th, the horrific crime was discovered. And we'll talk more about the crime itself here in a second. Yes. But Mary Peckham, who was a neighbor of the Moore house. That name sounds familiar, too. Mary Peckham? Peckham. Oh, wasn't there a Mr. Peckham? At our high school. Yeah, he was kind of a strange character. Mm. Anyway, the uh, Mrs., Mrs. Mary Peckham lived next door. She was outside doing her morning chores, which, you know, as you know, living in Iowa. Churning butter. Butter. Hanging you know, laundry. Beating the laundry with a stick. Beating their children with sticks. That's true, too. Things like that. Uh, things of that sort. You know, uh, she, she was out there. Uh, something was unusual that she noticed. Um, the, the Moore family had not been roused from this, their slumber. Correct. Uh, nobody had gone over there. Nobody had... Uh, and that, and, and it, it bears explanation because, it, as you say, at that time in the farmhouse communities and stuff, people were up, out early doing chores... And it would be odd to not see somebody That's right. out and about. That's right. She noticed the house was unusually still, so she found that to be strange. 
And uh, she decided to go over there, check on the old Moore house, and see what the heck was going on over there. She knocked, didn't get any response, obviously, because uh, there was some bad things that had occurred in there mm. over the evening. Um, but she, she was thinking that, the, that Sarah was under the weather for some reason. So she went to the barn, and she let out the more chickens like any good Iowa neighbor would do. Got to let out those chickens. You got to let them out. Now, what happens if you don't let them out? Um, you got to feed them and stuff. You feed them? Otherwise, well, yeah, you got to feed the chickens. You can't just leave them cooped. You can't leave them cooped up. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. That was good. No, not really. Anyway. Anyway, so Mary went back home after she let out the, uh, out the, the, chickens. the flock. Is that would it be a flock of chickens? Flock of chickens, I think. And uh, But yeah, she still, something, something bo- bothered her about the scene in general. So she felt like something was amiss. So she contacted Ross Moore, who's Josiah's brother, and Josiah is the, the patriarch of the home. He went by Joe. That's right. For some so Ross sake. arrived at the home and met Mary, who was still she was still trying to rouse somebody outside, and she banged and banged and shouted, and Ross banged and shouted, and nobody would uh, nobody would come to the door. Uh oh. So obviously things are not looking good for the the Moore family. So Ross he they, he knew they were they hid an extra key outside. He uh, opened the door. He entered the parlor, the front parlor, with Mary. Still didn't see anyone. Continued to call out. Then he finally realized that maybe the family had gone on one of those. Uh, Fun-filled family Disney cruises and six, didn't tell six anybody. Flags, maybe. Yeah, it could have been something like that. But it didn't happen, unfortunately. Oh. So he entered the first bedroom. He was one of the children's bedrooms, and the first thing he saw was two, uh, unfortunately, uh, small bloody bodies on the bed with darkened, uh, stained sheets. And smartly, Ross ran off the ran back onto the porch, shouted for Mary to call the sheriff, the local. Uh, yes, very smartly. Villisca, Iowa sheriff. So. As that happens, the city marshal, a man by the name of Hank Horton, showed up. Hank, that's a cool name. A for short a time later, he's a Hank. Oh yeah, city marshal Hank Horton that's, here. That's actual audio from from the time. Yeah, this, what, what that, is, did, yeah. that is. What, what, well, I, I, you didn't let it play out though. It was oh. going to play out. Oh, sorry. That's okay. So they found two bodies downstairs. Those were the, the, the two house guests. Unfortunately, they were they were uh, they were killed. That was Lena and Ina Stillinger. Lena was twelve, and Ina was only eight years old. Uh, when she was killed, and the rest of the victims were found upstairs in their beds, and they were all killed with an axe. Ew. And not like you would think. Well, no. that's true. That's what I always thought was an odd aspect of the case. But then there is actually reasons for it. Sure. So the the you would think that a uh, an axe wielding uh, psychopath would use the sharpened bl- part of the blade. Right. But unfortunately, he didn't. Well, fortunately for well, him. Fortunately, unfortunately. I don't know which is worse to go get matter. chopped to death or get bludgeoned to death right. with the dull end of the axe. Well, the reason supposedly given for that, I'm not sure if you're going to get into that later. Oh, you can you can give it out if you so want. So supposedly, uh, this is this is supposedly an indication of someone who has committed an axe murder before. Mm. Because as you said, normal normal people, well, normal people wouldn't kill somebody with an axe. But the you would a normal person would think that a person would use the sharp end. Sure. However, if you drive a, the sharp end of an axe into someone's head... It's actually very difficult to remove it from the head oh, to see. go and hit somebody else. So if you know you're going to have to hit multiple people, you use the dull end because you know that you can, you can, you can easily recover, recover each, and, each blow. That's right, and and continue on with your nasty work. One of the interesting uh, aspects of this, in terms of the evidence on the crime scene, were the, the you could see on the ceiling where, as on the backswing, the the, the bladed part of the, the axe was coming up and leaving marks in the ceiling. So he was swinging it over his head. Or, That's right. We assume it was a man, but uh, swinging it over their head. That's correct. And hitting the ceiling before coming down on the That's victims. right. So Josiah Moore, the father, was 43. He perished, along with his wife, Sarah, um, who was 44. So clearly he liked older women. Hmm. 
Herman Moore, like we stated, was 11. Catherine was 10. Boyd, 7. And Paul, 5. So a tragedy. Nasty. Uh, a tragedy, to say, to say the least. Right. And some of the interesting notes about the scene, all the victims... Uh, that were killed, their faces were all covered with their bedclothes. Right. So what does that tell you about, if we know nowadays, about profiling right. a killer? Well, from what I've read and from what I've seen on Criminal Minds, that uh, covering <laughs> the victim uh, indicates some sort of remorse. Remorse or shame. Or shame. Exactly. Yes. You're trying to keep the, the body from looking at you because you feel bad about well, it. Well, that's that's the other aspect. See, that's completely different. So if covering the body or covering the face of the body mm. is indicates shame, uh, in some people it may indicate that it, not not necessarily a shame, but you just don't want them looking at you because there were some other weird aspects of the case that mm. that, that we're going to get into that would lead that someone to believe that the killer had supernatural fears or uh, sure. beliefs in the occult. So it was determined that the axe that was used was not the axe of the killer; that it actually belonged to to Josiah Josiah Moore and was found in the room with the Stillinger girl. So more than likely, they were the last two to be killed. A weapon of opportunity. That's correct. Uh, and it, it appeared that a wep- uh, an attempt had been made to wipe it off for some reason. Mm. Um, I don't know like what the point of that would have been if there were bloody bodies all over the house. But um, there was also an, <laughs> kind of a weird, I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind of yeah. uh, bizarre. But there was a slab of bacon That's right. lying near the axe wrapped in a dish towel. Right. We're going to get into, I, I have an interesting theory that, that I unearthed oh, about you, the ooh, bacon. About the bacon? Yep. Uh, and there was also a second slab of bacon found near the ice box. So I like bacon as much as the next guy. Yep. But uh, well, well, when we get into the sub- suspects, there's a, we're going to come back to the bacon because there's a disturb, eerily disturbing mm. thing related to that. So clearly, uh, you know, even back in 1912, the news of the the murders traveled quickly throughout Villisca and all of Iowa. And for some reason, everyone and their brother began descending upon the scene. Uh, and the small police force had a difficult time trying to uh, keep people out of the crime scene. People were contaminating the crime scene. Hundreds, hundreds of people, they say, walked. And nowadays, obviously, this would this Couldn't is do that completely now. foreign to us now. But excuse me. Oh, I had a. Uh, what I are had, you doing? I over had there? leftover breakfast. Have you ever had? Have you ever taken? You know, you get takeout at a restaurant. Yeah. Not takeout, but um, you take your leftovers home with you. Yeah. Do you ever do that for breakfast food? No, not usually. Don't do it. Okay. I did it yesterday. <laughs> I, I went out. You to, had leftover eggs, did you? I went out to eat breakfast, it's not and the I same. got the uh, eggs and the and the corned beef hash. And, and the, this is this is what's happening. So I ate that this morning before your arrival here today. And you have gas gaseous odors. Oh my god, the gastrointestinal distress. Ew. Anyway. So they had to they had to call out the national guard uh, to come, you know, try to keep order and maintain people out of the scene. Hey, while you mentioning national guard, quick shout out to a listener of the show who uh, informed us that they have uh, just enlisted in the national guard. Oh, uh, and they are shipping out in a, in a couple of months for their basic training. So, uh, you know who you are. Thanks for your, uh, thank you for your commitment to the, are they actually getting great. on a ship or are they flying there? I think they're probably flying. <clears throat> yeah. It doesn't going in the national guard, not the Navy. Even if it was the Navy, they wouldn't ship anywhere. You just say shipping out. That's what you say. Oh, all right. <sighs> I, didn't, I don't know that. I don't, I didn't know nothing about the military. Nope. So, you know, obviously it, it seems crazy to think about how much of the scene would have been contaminated now at this point. Um, but back then, you know, they were, there was no trace evidence like DNA or chemical testing or anything like that. Uh, they had to, you know, detectives had to rely on their keen eye and cunning to solve these cases, which, you know, you do on a daily basis. Sure. Trying to figure out what underwear you should wear in the morning. That's correct. You yeah. have to do the sniff test. You have to do the, uh, the, the test to determine how long it's been there. Because, you know, if underwear is left soiled for so long, yeah. the smell disappears. It does? And you can wear it again. Is, was it like biodegrades itself yes, in the atmosphere? It, it, the, the bacteria eats itself 
<laughs> disappears, and you can wear the underwears again. Yeah, fun fun fact. So a lot you. of a lot of notes and clues were taken at at, at the scene, but um, you know, it was contaminated. There was some evidence that was lost. Right. Um. So uh, unfortunately, it still remains unsolved to this day. And one one interesting note. The people that were coming through the scene to tour the scene were taking souvenirs with them. That's gross. Um, somebody supposedly took a piece of uh, Josiah Moore's skull with them and kept it in a box. And he was like a shopkeeper, and that would that was his little macabre That's way of getting people to come to the store. So Nasty. there were no shortages a shortage of suspects. That's I think right. Mike wants to start maybe talk a little bit yeah. about some of the suspects. Here. So here's here's some of the clues that were left behind, and the reason that the clues are important is because it it leads to uh, determining obviously who the suspect may be, but also because. Each one of them has something to do with potentially. Um, uh, some of it may have to do with a motive. Some of it may have to do with with the just the actions of the killer uh, and their their proclivities, if you like that word. Ooh. So here's some of the some of the weird clues that were left behind. Jason mentioned the bacon, which I'm going to come back to. Uh, you know what a lamp chimney is? A lamp chimney. Yep. I don't. Okay, so back in the day, you know, they had those oil lamps, like the kerosene yeah, yeah. oil lamp. Sure. So there was a glass bulby thing mm. that goes over the flame oh, to protect yeah. it. That's yeah. called the lamp chimney. Ooh, bulbous. So lamp chimneys were found removed from their lamps and found in weird places throughout the home, like behind uh, dressers and stuff. Mm. So the killer, they assume it was the killer, um, did, did his dirty business by lamplight and then removed the chimneys or removed the chimneys before he did it. And no one is quite sure why. Ooh. Why somebody would do that. And he, and he, he hid them, and in, he random hid them in random places. Yeah. Here's another weird one. A bowl of bloody water was found on the kitchen table where they assumed that the killer tried to wash up maybe a little bit. Yeah, get rid of some of the blood off his hands. And did it, right, did it at the kitchen table. Yep. All of the mirrors in the home were covered with cloth. Now, it's, it's suspected that the killer covered all the mirrors himself uh, either before or after the mm. killings. You would think it would be after because he wouldn't want anybody to wake up while he was... He's, as you said, he killed everyone right. while they were in their beds. So I wonder if there's like a, is there like an occult thing? That's right. To it? So some people think that it was, the, the killer was either very superstitious, could have been very superstitious. You know, back in the day, a lot of people thought that, that um, mirrors held um, some sort of occult properties or, right. or magical properties, or that uh, it, it, people could see you through mirrors, ghosts appear in mirrors. Mm. People still think that to this day. I mean, we talked about scrying and we talked about Bloody Mary and Candyman and stuff like that before. So you, you would think it would have to have been after the fact because... You would think so. The, uh, more than likely, he was hiding out in the home. Well, that's that's we're going to get into that too. So so there's a, a school of thought that the, that the killer was actually, as you said, waiting in the home prior to the Moors arriving home. Uh, or he could have been waiting outside, and we're going to get there's a little bit of evidence about that 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 may have occurred as well. Sure. So all the mirrors were covered with cloth. The as you mentioned, the marks in the ceiling where the the axe man or axe woman would have uh, been swinging the axe, you know, to get some power. Like you're going to hit those mm-hmm. uh, um, carnival game hammer thingies. Oh yeah. So anyway, there's some evidence that it was a left-handed swinger. So like the Ooh. angle of the blade indicated that it was a left-handed swinger. I see. And and another one is. That uh, bloodhounds were brought in mm-hmm. to do some tracking, and the bloodhounds sat uh, got a scent from supposedly from the killer, and traced the scent to a river not far from the home. Mm-hmm. So these are just some weird clues, and, and they they're gonna come to fruition later as we talk about the suspects. So let's get into the suspects. You ready to do that? How about before we get into that? Because I, I got the, the I see the line blinking here. I think Frank's calling in. Oh no! Yeah. Frank's oh, we gotta we gotta take Frank's call. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take Frank and we're gonna get him on on the on the horn here in just a second. Okay, so uh, on the line, I think we got Frank uh, Frank from the door store, and uh, I want to make sure that he's okay. Frank, are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, uh, this is Frank. And uh, 
How are you feeling, Frank? I know that you, you had a little bit of a tragedy there at the door store. Is everything okay? I'm better days, I have to be honest with you. Say that again? You're a little muffled. I've, I've seen better days. You've seen better sure. days. So can you take us through the events of, of the, the, the downfall of the door store? What exactly happened uh, that, that fateful day, those few weeks ago? Well, I was sitting in my home, you know. I don't live far from the door store. I live right down the road. And, and I saw a flame uh, in the door store. And I said, hey, I got to go save my doors, you know. My doors, this is my life. So I... Uh, I pulled on my flippy floppies and I ran down there, and uh, the the place was uh, was on fire, and uh, so I I said I got I got to put this fire out. So you you attempted to you attempted to put the fire out. Um, what, now was the whole building engulfed? Did you go inside? How did you how did this come about? I went I went inside and, and you know what happened was I told people there's no no paint on the door no paint. No one listens to me, and I paint, and the paint catches on fire. So uh, I just uh, the fire and the paint in the door, and I I didn't have a fire uh, extinguisher, so I tried peeing on the doors. Oh, I, I had to, to pee on them. So that didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that didn't work out for you too well. Um, you, did you uh, Did you suffer any kind of injuries or anything as a result of this? Yeah, my wee wee. You got a little burn on your wee wee. Not a little burn, big burn, big burn on the wee wee. Oh, so you uh you over you overcooked your your sausage is what you're telling me. Yeah, uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, I uh, I I was not successful in turning off the fire, uh, and I woke up in the hospital, and uh, my lovely nurses there were were tending to my wee wee, and there's worse places to be. Okay, so you you made it out. You're uh, you're recovering from your injuries. The door store is it is it a complete loss for you? Did what about your your brothers uh, 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 Joe and Stan? Are they okay? Did they make it out okay? Joe and Stan are pieces of poop. They have nothing to do with the door store anymore. No one will help me. Joe and Stan, no more, no more door store for you. You're banned, banned from the door store forever. No more door store. So do you think after you uh, recoup from this? Uh, your injuries, are you going to rebuild the door store? Are you going to try a different line of work, a different business? What are your plans going forward, Frank, from the door store? Uh, if I can't find enough doors, I'm going to become a male prostitute. Uh, I feel like I can do very well with the ladies. I know about courtship and then uh, how to be a gentleman, so I figure I'd be a good male prostitute. So you'd be a male prostitute servicing ladies, but not other men, is what you're saying? Well... Beggars can't be true, so whoever wants to pay me. All right, well, Frank, hey, listen, uh, you know, good luck going forward, and, uh, you know, if you need anything, don't hesitate to call us here at the Eon Project, and, uh, you know, if you if you decide to go go the mail uh, escort route, let us know. We'll uh, we'll put another commercial on for you, and we'd be more than happy to promote your business. And I find you a very attractive man, too, so thank you. Thank you, and goodbye now. So that was Frank from the door oh. store. Um, apparently, he has some uh, severe injuries related to this fire. You know, I've met, I've met Frank, and uh, he has a way with women. Does Boy, he? I tell you what. You know, just I don't want to be judgmental by the sound of his voice. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sound like he would be an attractive man. Well, you know, it's uh, the, the, there's a there's a fetish for everyone. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. And uh, Frank has some sort of magnetism. Ooh. He magnet he magnetizes women like animal magnetism. Then they flow to him like the salmon of Capistrano. Oh, okay. So let's get into the suspects. All right. So we're talking about the Velisca axe murders. We talked about the disgusting nature of the 
of the murders themselves. Yep. We talked about some of the nasty, weirdo clues that were left behind. So let's get into some of the possible suspects, because this investigation actually took many, many years. It was mm. going on for a long time. And as you said before, it's today, it's, it's still unsolved. But there's back, basically, there's a, a few different camps, if you will, yes. of, of thought. And they all break down into to a couple of different categories. So basically, let me get into a couple of the suspects. And as I'm talking about the suspects, I want you at home to think which one is the most likely one. And then we can kind of bandy about some, uh, okay. some theories, if you will. Okay. So the first suspect I'm going to talk about is a man named Andy Sawyer. Ooh. Does that sound like a killer's name? It sounds Andy. like somebody from a Mark Twain novel. Andy Sawyer gets on the flatboat on the Mississippi. His buckwheat was first rate. Oh, yeah, that... <laughs> his, his potatoes are bully. <laughs> anyway, so Andy Sawyer. So right after the murders were discovered uh, to have occurred, the townsfolk immediately started thinking that there was no way that anyone from the town could have possibly done such a thing. So what, what they started to do was look for... Uh, people who didn't belong there, transients, hobos, mm. and whatnot. So at this time in that area of the country, actually a lot of uh, a lot of the country, there was a lot of transients bouncing from town to town looking for work. Yep, mostly unskilled laborers, and they probably smelled really bad. I'm sure they did, like a farm animal, like and in beans. July. And I always picture beans. hobos being on a train eating beans. They are. So when a man named Andy Sawyer arrived in a nearby, nearby town called Creston on the morning that the mur- murders were discovered, he soon began to arouse suspicion. Ooh. He was hired as a, he was hired on as a laborer for a railroad gig. Like he was driving, he was a pile driver. He was driving piles. Oh, that's a tough job. You ever been pile drived by someone? I have. Keith Garnell <laughs> pile drive me in sixth grade. Almost snapped my neck. He used to like Mr. Wonderful. The pile driver was, a, that's was a great move. Yeah. Anyway, so Andy Sawyer was hired on as a, uh, as I said, as a pile driver, and he soon began to start weirding everybody out. Mm. First, he claimed that he was in Villisca the night of the murders, and he took off when he heard about them because he didn't want to get rounded up as a suspect. Because he was a vagrant and all. Yeah. Uh, but he was obsessed with newspaper articles about the crime. And he kept asking anyone who would listen if the police had any leads. He would ask questions about you know, oh. what they thought about it. And yeah, it was yeah. Just so he had a lot of questions about lot, the case. A lot of questions about the case, which, which is kind of strange you know, yep. in yep. and of itself. And some of the things that he did that really uh, unnerved everybody. He used to sleep with an axe. With, oh. with an axe. You know what, though? Uh, <laughs> I guess if you didn't have access to a firearm. Sure. You know, because I sleep with I've guns slept with, constantly. with weapons before. And uh, sure. you, know, you can never be too safe. Yeah. So there's some of the weird stuff he did, too. So the boss that hired him, uh, for some reason, and it doesn't really say why, but for some reason, uh, Andy Sawyer ended up on, on a little, like, car thing. Yeah. They were, going, they were driving through town. Yep. And uh, they ended up driving through Villisca. This was soon after the crimes. Uh-huh. And Sawyer told the kid, uh, he, was a, he was a juvenile, apparently, that he was going to show him where the man that killed the Moore family got out of town. He said that the man that did the job jumped over a manure box. And he, oh. point, he pointed it out, which was about a, a block and a half away from the from the Moore house. And he showed him where he, where the killer would have crossed the railroad tracks. And then they saw some footprints in the soggy ground north of the embankment. Mm-hmm. He then said, this is, for, this is a quote from the kid. He then said for me to look on the other side of the car so he would show me where an old tree where he said the murderer stepped into the creek. Remember I said that the, that the uh, bloodhounds followed the trail That's right. to, to the creek, to the river. So he effectively weirded everybody out to the point where... He was actually turned over to the police by his boss mm-hmm. as a suspect. So he looks pretty good for this crime, right? Sure. He's got information about it. He's interested in it. He's got an axe. Yep. You know, all this stuff. Turns out he couldn't have been the killer because he had been arrested the night of the murders for vagrancy in another town. And he couldn't have made the trip to Velisca in time to oh, commit so the killer. so he had a, a rock-solid alibi then. He had, yeah, because the, so- the, the alibi witness was the sheriff from the other town who oh, said, yeah, yeah, I arrested yeah, that Yeah, he guy. was already in custody. So he was in custody. He could not have done it. Even though that looked pretty promising. Yep. Next suspect, man by the name of Joe Ricks. 
Joe Ricks is a cool name. Oh, he sounds like he sounds like a, a, a Joe Ricks off the bench shortstop for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Now back batting eighty three, number twenty five. Joe Ricks. <laughs> That's twenty five. Yep. Ricks. Yep. Anyway, so a woman. This is a, you have to go back to to before the murders for this one. So a a girl actually, sixteen year old girl by the name of Miss Van uh, Miss Faye Van Gilder. Ooh, Faye Van Gilder. She was sixteen. You pervert. Oh, well, anyway, that's legal. Miss, she's dead now. I'm sure because this was like a long time. Oh, ago. all right. Anyway, so Miss Faye Van Gilder, the niece of the Moore family of Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Moore, relayed that the day before the murder, she was accosted by a mysterious stranger mm-hmm. who inquired where the home of the Moors was located. Oh, so that's weird, right? That is strange. Just so somebody went, "Hey, where did the Moors live?" Somebody <sighs> was looking for him. Sure. So. Later, when she told Mrs. Moore of the occurrence, this was obviously before Mrs. Moore was murdered, so it must have yep. been that day. Yep. Mrs. Moore stated that a similarly described man had been seen hanging around their property. So it's this weird guy asking where the Moors live, and then he's hanging around the property. That's pretty suspicious. So to me, if this if this person was the killer, it sounds it sounds to me like they were specifically targeted if he's Correct. asking for the That's name. That's right. Where, yeah. is the, where are the Moors? Yeah, yeah. Correct. That's your investigative mind. Yeah. So enter Joe Ricks. He was a man who was arrested in Monmouth, Illinois, soon after the murders, because he stepped off a train wearing shoes covered with blood. Ooh. So authorities thought he might be the man that was seen in Villisca the day before the murders, asking the niece for directions to the home, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he was similarly described. So actually, Faye Van Gilder was transported to Monmouth to ID the guy. Oh. So she, they trained her over there. They, well, Did a little, uh, they, got, they put her on a train. Did a little lineup action. They brought her over there, and uh, they presented the man, and she said, that's not him. Oh, so Joe also he had a fairly good accounting of himself to the authorities um, about his whereabouts the yep. day of the killing. So he didn't have his rock solid an alibi, but but the eyewitness could not identify him. Okay, and he, he uh, explained that his bloodstained shoes that he was wearing when he was arrested were obtained in a trade from a tramp. A tramp, I think they mean um, hobo, not like a oh a like a risque woman. woman. No, mm, okay. So Joe Ricks effectively eliminated as a suspect. Yep. Joe, go on. So we're moving on. So those are the, those are two of the probably the least likely suspects. Even though there was a couple of circumstantial things about each one of them that sure. that, that could have led to the to them being. Now you know what you know what I find amazing What's about that? this whole thing. Obviously, as we stated earlier, it's 1912. The you know the networking isn't as it is today. Right. You know, so they had to do all of this by foot. Yep. By horseback, train, by hook or by crook, by uh, keen keen sense, keen detecting to skills. try to find this stuff out. It's amazing. Sure. Okay. Probably the most creepy suspect, we're going to talk about him. His name was Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly. Yes. He was a traveling minister, which I don't know if that is still a profession. What's your profession, sir? I'm a traveling minister. Praise be the Lord. So he's a traveling minister. He was present in Villisca the night of the murders. Here's creepy. He was seen observing the Moore and Cylinder children at the church service the evening of the murders. Okay, so he was at the... The children's program that you described before. Yeah. Multiple people saw him there. He was also seen leaving town the morning after the killings, very early in the morning. I guess people were very disconcerted with his dark eyes. He was weird looking. I saw a picture of him. Yeah. He was a strange looking dude. So he was a weird dude. And here's some of the reasons that people think maybe he was the killer. He was a little guy, which uh, he was 5'2", 120 pounds. Oh, that's tiny. That's small for a man. That's like a woman. It's like that's a small woman. Yeah. So, so you figure out a man, and he was a, he was a grown grown man, grown in, man. In, in his own way. So he's not very large, uh, and some people think that he was not large enough to kill eight people in the manner that th- these people were killed, because it would take some physical strength to right. do that. You can't just bludgeon. Uh, it's it's it takes some work to do that. Yep. So, 
But he may have had crazy strength. You ever know somebody who had crazy strength? I've dealt with that on many an occasion. <laughs> somebody who's got and crazy strength. And you know what? You, you actually kind of underestimate people, too. You look at them, you're like, oh, this, this guy's uh, he, he's going to be easy to take down. Yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, he's tossing everyone about, and uh, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I call it crazy strength. So, uh, he was a known sexual deviant. Mm. And uh, we're going to get into why that plays into this as well. He had been caught peeping on women in their homes two days before the murders in Villisca. Yeah. So he was wandering around peeping on women. This is a reverend now. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. holy Lord. Oh, yeah. So he was he was known to be a peeper. Uh, more deviancy. So this was 1914. So this is after after the killings. He was living in Winter, South Dakota. Winter. Winter, winter chicken dinner. <laughs> he, would, he, he put an advertisement in a paper for a girl stenographer, quote unquote, mm. to do some confidential work. Oh. He placed that ad in the Omaha World Herald. And he specified that the successful candidate must also be willing to pose as a model. Oh, so the fetishes even even go back that that far, huh? Sure. Wow. So when a young woman uh, by the name of Jessamine Hodgson, with Jessamine, not too many Jessamine. That sounds to me like a candidate. Jessamine Hodgson responded responded to the ad. She received a return letter, and this actually was described by a judge in a court as being so obscene, lewd, lascivious, and filthy as to be offensive to this honorable court and improper to be spread upon the record. So it was so bad and sexually deviant. He couldn't even put it in the record. He couldn't official... even put it in the record. That's how bad wow, it was. Wow, that's pretty bad. So, um, right. So amongst the milder instructions that Kelly told Hodgson that she would, be re- she would be required to type in the nude if she was going to work for him. Man, this guy's got some game. So this, so that's sexual deviancy is, is obviously a part of this guy. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll get to that at the end of this. So anyway, so here's a story about Kelly. This is what people think if, if he was the killer that he did. Right. So he spotted the family in the church because he was a, re- a traveling minister, and he became obsessed with them because they had a number of females, you know, uh, sure. of younger age, and he could possibly have been a pedophile. Uh, he had spied on the Moore household as they went to bed that evening. The idea that the killer had lain in wait for the Moors to go to sleep was supported by some evidence um, because investigation revealed that there were some depressions in bales of hay stored in the family barn, and that nearby there was a knot hole through which the murderer could have watched the house while reclining in comfort. Ooh, like so he's sitting on the bales of hay watching the house. Like an early, uh, early 20th century glory hole. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that, that we didn't mention earlier with relation to the forensic evidence, that Lena Stillinger, age 12, had been found wearing no underwear with her nightdress, this is gross, but her nightdress drawn up past her waist mm-hmm. that suggested uh, that there was a sexual motive. However... The doctors found no evidence that there was any sexual assault. I so they, they they think that the killer may have positioned her uh, in that manner and, and removed her garments and positioned her that way so that he could um, use it as a aid oh, in doing to something. satisfy And that's where the bacon comes in. Oh, so the bacon oh. was greasy. Oh, my God. And he potentially used the grease as, oh, I, as, I a, can't eat bacon as a personal lubricant. Oh, God. So That's awful. More evidence of a, more evidence against Kelly. So he had sent bloody clothing to a laundry in nearby Macedonia the day after the murder, which is not entirely taken in and of itself is not necessarily incriminating because people you know cut themselves all the time back mm-hmm. then it was a rough life so people always got blood on their clothes. But anyway, he sent bloody laundry to the la- uh, bloody laundry to the laundry. Also, an elderly couple recalled meeting the preacher on an early morning train from Villisca that day, the day that the murders were discovered, mm-hmm. and he told them. That the gruesome that gruesome murders had occurred in the town, which would be a hugely incriminating statement since the preacher had left Villisca three hours before the killings were discovered. So he wouldn't have known that exactly. there were killings unless he had first hand unless he had first hand knowledge. It also emerged that Kelly had returned to Villisca a week after the crimes and had shown great interest in the murders. He even posed as a Scotland Yard detective 
to obtain a tour of the Moore house. So he, he said he was from Scotland Yard investigating the crime, which no one from Scotland Yard would have been investigating the crime. Sure. But they let him in, and he wandered around the crime scene. And th- obviously that's strange behavior in and of itself. So he, Moore was arrested in 1917. He was repeatedly interrogated and eventually actually signed a confession to the murders, mm-hmm. which was really creepy because he said, quote, I killed the children upstairs first and the children downstairs last, which would be consistent with what you said earlier with the, the, the murder weapon being found in the final room. Correct. With the girls downstairs. Yep. So he also continued, I knew God wanted me to do it in this way. Slay utterly came to mind, which is a quote from the Bible. Mm. Slay utterly. As I picked up the axe, went into the house and killed them. So that's his confession. However, sure. he later recanted his confession. He said it was beaten out of him by... Which is not in the realm of possibility. Correct. Overzealous detectives wanting to, wanting to solve the case. Also, the couple, the elderly couple that claimed to have spoken with him the morning after the murders changed their story later mm-hmm. and said that they weren't sure what he said or, or if it was even him. I see. With little left to, to help, help, uh, hold them for the killings, they sent him to a grand jury, but the grand jury refused to indict him twice. So he went before two, uh, Reverend Kelly went before two grand juries. Two times. And they did not indict him either time. Okay. So does that mean he didn't do it? No. That just means that they weren't sure. able to convict him based on evidence. Yep. So to this point, Reverend Kelly probably seems like the most likely suspect, wouldn't you think? Well, he's, he, I mean, he sounds, he fits the mold. Uh, sure. However, you know, as we stated earlier, if, if there was a person that was inquiring about the Moore home, you know, so that, right. that's why that's why it's interesting because there's so many different suspects. There's a lot of different each things. one with their own motives, right? Yeah. And 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 the the one with the worst motive is next. Are you ready for that? I'm one? I'm ready. Okay, man by the name of Frank Jones. Yep. To to some not more Frank from Frank. No, the no, no, no. Frank All from right. the doorstep would never hurt a fly. Okay. Well, he might. Anyway, so to some people, he would Frank Jones would be the most unlikely, and to some, the most likely, depending on who you ask, uh, because he was a state senator and a local, a powerful local businessman. Mm-hmm. He may have had a couple of beefs with Joe Moore, the patriarch of the Moore family, and some say that he, he may have hired someone to commit the murders uh, uh, to kill Joe and the rest of the family to cover up the crime. For one, Joe Moore used to work for Frank Jones uh, as a salesman in his farm equipment business. So Joe Moore, the, the father, yep. worked for Frank Jones. After many years of being a top salesman, there was word that Joe Moore demanded a raise. I demand a raise! That was actual audio. That's, that's what he said. I demand a raise. That's how they used to do it. That's right. I demand a raise from you, sir. So uh, Frank Jones refused, prompting Joe to quit. Not only did he quit, he opened up, Joe Moore opened up his own farm equipment business across town as a competitor and took some high-value clients with him. So Frank had a financial motive to be pissed at Joe Moore. Wasn't, wasn't the John Deere company involved That's correct. in this? correct. John Deere was the, was the number one client, right. and, and Joe Moore uh, left with them. He took the John Deere He took Deere the account. business. That's yeah. right. Nothing runs like a deer. No. Even worse than that, which is, that's bad enough. And to some people, that would be enough to, motive to murder. But even worse, Joe Moore is thought to have been romantically involved with Frank Jones's daughter-in-law. Oh. Okay, this is, this is a weird one, too. So supposedly, Frank Jones's daughter-in-law was said to be a smoke show. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. She was rather bully. She was bully. She had heavy legs. Anyway, <laughs> so she was said to be a smoke show. And she was also known to be having multiple affairs with different married men about town. Oh, man. Which was a fact confirmed by local operators. Because, you know, back in the day, you couldn't just call somebody. No. You had to ask. you pick up the phone. And then someone would go, hello, this is the operator. Yep. And then they would say, connect me with Frank Jones's house. Frank Jones, 1273. And then they would put it in there. Ah, put it through. What most people don't know is that the operators could hear what was going on. They would listen on. to everything. They could listen to those conversations. Oh, that'd be a cool job. I'd love that. <laughs> it's like voyeuristic. 
So anyway, so the telephone operators knew that this woman was a philanderer yeah. and was cheating on her husband. So Joe Moore was cuckolding Frank's, Frank Jones' son. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. What, it was Frank Jones' son involved? Well, that's the thing. So Joe Moore was cuckolding him. You like that word? Cuckold? Well, he would have to be participating. That's what that means. No. Joe Moore was cuckolding the son. So oh, right. The guy's son. I know, but the son would have to be in the room as this is taking place. No, no, no. That's no, what no, that no, means. No, no, no. That's not what that means. That just means that you're cheating. You're... A man whose wife cheats on him is a cuckold. No, it I doesn't thought, necessarily mean I you're there. cuckolding was. No, you don't actually have to be You're there. with somebody else's wife and the husband is sitting in the corner of the room watching. No, that's a cuckolding fetish. Oh. That's if you like that. Oh. If you don't like it and you don't know what's going on, you're you're still a cuckold. Oh, you just uh, revealed something. Yeah, I know. Thank you. So Clarify anyway, that for me. So, that's a pretty strong motive too. Mm. So, a private detective from the Burns Detective Agency, which is actually still around to this day, they run security guard businesses, yeah. which they're not the best in the world. Anyway, so a detective from the Burns Detective Agency was hired by a more relative to investigate the murders and came up with a theory that Frank Jones hired a man by the name of William Blackie Mansfield. Blackie was his nickname. Yep, he's the killer. Name of Blackie, why, because of his nickname? Yeah, Blackie Mansfield. Blackie Mansfield. To commit the murders and even got a grand jury convened. Witnesses claimed that Jones was seen conspiring with other men outside the Moore home on the day of the murders, one of them potentially Blackie Mansfield. There's a lot that goes on outside the Moore home. Yeah, lots of that? things going on. Oh, there's people conspiring, people walking around, asking people their peeking in windows, directions looking into in my glory house. holes, all kinds of what stuff. What the heck's going on here? So, but the case actually fell through when Mansfield had a solid alibi. So, when they couldn't pin the... So, supposedly, he didn't commit the murders himself because he was an older man. He had this guy supposedly do it. But he had an alibi. The case fell through. But Frank Jones's political career was ruined, and his name dragged mm. through the mud. Everybody thought he had something to do with the murder. Wasn't uh, wasn't Mansfield an early cocaine addict as uh, well? I didn't see that, but potentially. Oh. So you obviously saw that. <clears throat> I saw that somewhere. So Frank Jones had a couple of reasons to kill more. Not necessarily the family, but, you know, he was pissed at Joe. Sure. So to the point where he would kill everybody? I don't know. That seems kind of far-fetched to well, me. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you know, Mansfield, he just took it a little bit too far. It could have been. You know, because I think he, I believe... Hitmen tend to do that. Yeah, I think that he was known for other murders that had taken place that he yeah, was Yeah, he was a in, suspect so. in some other murders as well. He was not a good guy. William Mansfield was not a good guy. Definitely not. So anyway, so that that's the Frank Jones theory. Now, more than likely, the next theory is is probably the most realistic. And this is the, the last suspect that the you're going to talk about? Well, it, yes, in a manner of speaking. And this is the most realistic of them all. To me, it is. Plausible, I should say. An unknown serial killer was the culprit. You know, weren't there a series of axe murders at the time? That's correct. So okay. many believe that the Velisca, the Velisca killer was a traveling serial killer as similar crimes took place in the vicinity of railroad tracks all around the country at the same time, around mm-hmm. the same time. So it would be easy for a demented hobo to jump off the railroad car, kill some folk, jump back on the train, eat his hobo beans, and ride the rails away from town. Mm. So uh, adding to the mystery, here's some, here's some other creepy stuff that happened uh, around that same time. Some other murders in different states around the same time had the same weird characteristics yes. of, this, of the Velisca case. Yep. Covering mirrors, covering the bodies, using an axe. These, th- there was some other things. So, And these murders took place in, 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 as I said, different areas of the country, but along railroad lines. Because that was a main form of transportation yep. between cities at the time. But if the killer... Here's a but, though. Mm-hmm. But if the killer was a transient and a hobo, how would he have known to target the Moore family specifically? How did he know that... By a you know by low light and because back in the day nobody had electricity there weren't lights blazing sure. all night long so by low light you had to find a strange home maneuver around the strange home not wake anybody up find the bedroom of the more adults and kill them first because they were upstairs of course so you would have had to know where they slept right. if you're going to kill them first unless he was just wandering around the house for a long period of time so how would that happen but also the same night 
in Velisca, a telephone operator, uh, that was her job, that she wasn't doing it at the time, uh, heard footsteps outside of her door in the middle of the night, and someone tried to open her locked door, mm-hmm. and then they escaped. There was another family in the area that saw actually saw someone in their home, a shadowy figure. They woke up, and the person escaped out of a window. Oh, So you have a couple of things. What the heck is going on there? <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of different theories. So uh, to me, a traveling serial killer is probably the most... Um, it's probably the most likely suspect because yeah. of, of similar murders in other areas. But sure. like I said, there's a couple of weird inconsistencies. Who was the person that was asking for the more house specifically right. and seen lurking outside their property? Mm. Who was that guy? Who who were the people that were going into other homes at the same time? Right. What well, you-, you know, it's like I said, it's 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 1912. It's uh, it's Iowa. Um, not a whole lot going on. Yep. So you think about it now, right? You go say it's a Saturday night. You go out on the town. You know, there's things to do. You go to the you go to the local drinking establishment. You go dancing. Mm-hmm. You go uh, you go to the wiener joint afterwards. You know, there's things the to wiener do. Wiener joint is that what you call it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, uh, there wasn't really much going on. So you know what? If you're a creepy dude, where are you gonna go? You're just gonna wander around the, the cornfields, look at people's windows, peeking in windows, sneaking in people's homes. You used to do that, didn't you? You used to peek in people's windows. No, oh. uh, but uh, I could see how it'd be arousing for some. Mm, you could. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, so. That's the, 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 the actual murders, the investigation, the suspects. We kind of went over the details of that. And it's, it remains unsolved to this day. But, but there's some after effects of the, of the murders. And they, those continue to today as well. Absolutely. And as we know, with any uh, you know, seriously tragic event, emotionally distressing event, um, that's where, and that's why we talk about these things on this television, uh, tele- I said television. It would be cool oh. if it was a television show. Maybe this that was a foreshadowing. Oh yeah. Yes. Television one we, day. We need to be on television. We're some, we're some, uh, you know, entertaining dudes. Entertaining, man. you know, we're attractive. Very attractive. We're, we're good looking. Incredibly we're incredibly handsome. We're, uh, svelte. Suave. We have, we suave. have, we have, we're large. Yeah. In the right areas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is perfect. our heads, our brains. Our yep. brains are very large. Perfect for TV. Yep. But anyway, so, just like, uh, much like the Amityville case and other cases th- like this, where oh, and that was that was what we we're talking about earlier, a, a parallel to the Amityville case. If you remember, yes. going back when we were talking about this, the murders that took place there at One Twelve Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, many people were killed by a firearm, right? Yes, and nobody seemed to really get out of the bed that much. Correct. So the same kind of thing happened here. I mean. You know, if you're in your home and people are being bludgeoned to death with an axe... You would hear that, probably. Don't you think you'd hear that and you'd kind of wake up maybe... I uh, do, but I'm a very light sleeper. I would hear a mouse fart and wake up. So, the same kind of thing happened there. Maybe some sort of weird sleep paralysis that overtook the whole family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fear, paranoia. uh, uh, Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what kept those people asleep like the Amityville case. Well, uh, a slight deviation would be that in the the Velisca case, all of them were younger children than uh, than the Amityville case. Those are older kids. Oh, they were roughly, yeah, they were a couple older kids. a couple of teenagers. But anyway, so with that uh, tragedy comes the association that possibly paranormal activity is rooted and taken hold um, in the home. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. As we said, an emotionally tragic event, the energy can very well linger and manifest. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the haunting evidence. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to fast forward to 1994 for a second. And then we're going to, then we'll backtrack here in a minute. 1994 so, was a good year. It was a good year. Yep. So 94, uh, obviously, you know, the house is old at this point. It was in terrible condition um, and was, believe it or not, was getting ready to be torn down. However, in steps Darwin and Martha Lynn. Darwin. They, uh, they were some, uh, 
you know, a married couple, I believe that they still own the home. Um, they basically wanted to restore the houses to the house to its original condition at the time of the 1912 murders. One to kind of make it like a living museum, essentially people could come and tour it. They could hear the story of, you know, see how the Moors lived back then or people in general lived back then in Iowa Mm -hmm. and to offer tours of the home and, you know, talk about maybe some activity, a paranormal activity that has been going on there. So the restore everything, including the outhouse. Oh, and the chicken coop that we talked about earlier as well. Nice. So the original uh, chicken coop. Uh, and, you know, there's not really enough outhouses in use today, if you ask me. No, there needs to be more outhouses. So as we as we said, um, the house was completely restored. And, they, you know, they, they let people do the uh, the tours and the uh, it's overnight. It's open for business. Yeah, and you can, over, you can stay overnight there. That sounds uh, like a fun Things time. like that. So a, a, a Des Moines disc jockey stayed in the house and awoke to hear children's voices, but no children were present. So Ooh. he did his little shtick. His little uh, DJ thing where he stayed overnight. Yeah, the time is uh, 7.55. Hope you're not on the highway. Whoa, look at that traffic. <laughs> it's going to take forever to get to work today. Woo. Oh, man. I think you have a... Uh, Sorry. That's your second calling there. Yeah. Uh, there's been many, many a report of falling lamps, moving objects. Uh, most scary, I think, is like children laughing. Yeah, children laughing is always scary. I think EVPs of the children are the most creepy. Yeah. Uh, there's also been a lot of video and photographic anomalies that have been caught... Um, that you could that you could uh, go online and see, and actually, believe it or not, the stories uh, go back to the 1930s when a young couple named Homer and Bonnie Rittner Homer moved into the house. That's a cool name. And Bonnie, uh, unfortunately for her, began hearing noises at night, uh, which kind of frightened her. And night after night, she began seeing the image of an axe at the end of the bed. That's creepy. So can you imagine? No, I wouldn't stay there. No, ever no. Again. no. Between uh, the years 1963 and 71, uh, another family lived in the house that consisted of two young girls and their parents. Uh, the father was a truck driver, and obviously being a truck Not driver, a he, lot. he'd be gone often. And uh, the, the, the girls would often awake to sounds of children sobbing and crying. So... It seems to me like the the children uh, theme, uh, haunting theme, is kind of uh, present here on this right. on this thing, being that they were the most uh, people that were killed there. Right. Uh, the girl's father never really believed the girls, unfortunately for him, until one night while sharpening his pocket knife, oh. which he often did, it flew out of his hand and stabbed him in the palm, uh, unexplainedly. Uh, uh, I think he probably did that himself. Maybe he was just practicing he his knife throwing. He probably had a few uh, a few adult beverages before that. So and and. Apparently, the haunting activity began to pick up when some of the, when the renovations began. Maybe you can explain that a little bit. Sure. So uh, there's a there's an old old standing uh, paranormal theory that when a home or dwelling or anything is is being renovated, it's a trigger for paranormal activity to start because it's if there are spirits that are attached to the property, they're angry that you're altering it or you're 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 disturbing some sort of um, peace that's been going on there and that leads to paranormal activities maybe, maybe you're stirring up the uh the restless spirit of bob vila and his home renovations this old house i'm bob vila is he still alive you think uh, i think so he was a hearty hearty individual yeah no he was a good host i like that show everybody liked this old house yeah. i don't think anybody watched it outside of new england though no it's made it pretty big now it's uh, i think it's nationwide oh is it really yeah what was the name of the uh of the carpenter guy that was his like that was Norm Abrams. Norm Abrams. He's the master that's, carpenter. That's correct. He's uh, guy's amazing. He can build anything. He can. So he's he's uh, he's definitely uh, an original to say the least. That's where I learned about a wet saw. You know what a wet saw oh, is? I know what a wet saw is. Yeah, that's oh, how we yeah, learned about yeah. it. Wet saw. Oh yeah, it's a wet saw. Ooh. So as you can see, uh, you know, like all uh, tragic events that occur in a home, haunting sites, uh, you know, it's it's just the site of an emotionally tragic event that occurs. Um, and the energy lingers, it, it, it manifests, it attaches itself to, to different locations and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and interestingly, 
We talked many weeks ago about Grandma Betty's haunted place in uh, in Indiana. In Indiana, that's correct. So I got some more recent um, pictures of of Grandma oh. Betty's place um, that were sent to me yesterday. As a matter of fact, talk about an old. This could be the Velisca home, the old an old creepy house to say the least. Was there anything in the pictures though um, of a paranormal nature? There, yeah, there, there's some uh, possible uh, faces and windows and things. Oh. So uh, what I can do is I can post those up online here shortly as sure. well. That'd be good. Um, so the uh, just to recap the Velisca case, uh, an interesting case. Um, you know, it's a famous axe murder, which in turn turned into a uh, you know a haunting at this time. So you can go online. You can yeah. You can still go there. You can still stay there the night. I'm more interested in the in the crime itself, and, and probably because it's it's not a uh, it's it's an unsolved crime. Sure. So you don't. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the uh, the paranormal aspect of it is is just people that are capitalizing on a, on a previous tragedy. Uh, you know, it's possible. I mean, you, you always have to kind of look at things uh, from a skeptical point of view. But uh, another famous um, case that axe case that people have talked about, of course, is the Lizzie Borden case. Yes. Which maybe we can delve into a little bit more too. Yeah, we at can some do point. another. We could do a show. But on that one too, and was interesting in the sense that you know she was tried and acquitted. Right. Um, Although the, most people think she did it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible. We we'll, actually, they are. They have a. a re, they have a movie that's coming out soon. If it's ooh. not out already, it's about Lizzie Borden. Is it going to be like one of these uh, third-rate kind of low-budget? No, it's got, a, like, it's got it's got it's got a star attached. I don't remember who it is, but it's it's somebody. I'm surprised it took them this long to make that movie. Yeah, it's there's probably been some direct to direct to TV movies. You know, that's not too far from us here uh, no, no in Fall enough. River. So maybe we could do like a a, a, a little field trip down there, or That'd even cool. spend the night. I don't want to spend the night there. Why not? I don't want to spend the night with you in general. Well, we would be in separate rooms. Now. Oh, separate rooms. Okay. Yeah. That's but then I would sneak into your room. Yeah, late. I'd have to have a solid lock on my door because <laughs> you're a deviant. No. No, I'm, not that Kelly. Kind, I'm not that kind of deviant. No. But anyway, so that's the Velisca case. That's, uh, that's you know, interesting. you can read itself. more about it online. It's creepy when you read a lot of, and we didn't get into it in great detail. There's been a lot of, a lot of people who have, but I mean, there's, there's stuff that we talked, that we didn't talk about that you could, you could learn about the different suspects, about the different, about the crime scene and stuff. It's just a creepy case. There are some photographs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, things of that sort, and supposedly some, you know, online, um, you know, paranormal evidence as well that you can take a look at and take that with a grain of salt. The ghost hunters go there? The ghost hunter team? I'm not quite sure. I don't, I don't, I think, they, I don't I think they did. I don't recall that. One of them did. Either Ghost Adventures or Ghost Ghost Adventures, Ghost Brothers, Ghost uh, Posse. Ghost uh, Third Cousins ghost on con- your mother's side. Ghost Conglomerate. Oh. Yeah, they all been there. Yep. So anyway, what, what do you have? Any parting thoughts for me? Uh, just uh, no, no parting thoughts. I'm just happy to be here, man. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be here with you, and I'm happy to be here with all the listening audience. Well, you know, one thing I did want to mention. Oh, okay. Is that the uh, the website is currently being revamped? Okay. So it is not an operation right now, but you can still get a hold of us by emailing us directly at the Eon Project. That's T H E E O N Project at yahoo.com you can also find us on facebook and twitter that's correct and we would we would love to hear from you let us know if you like the show give us a review on itunes or on uh, Podbean or however you listen to the program uh those reviews actually do help they show they they elevate the status of the show so that more people can find it and we can keep doing the show that's right so we don't know what the heck we're talking about next week nope we'll find out we'll find out uh, uh we'll discuss that saturday night over a bunch of uh oh oh friday night Friday night. Friday, I should say. Historic day in the history oh, of the world. Yes, November 10th. November 10th. If you don't know what that is, too bad for November you. November 10th is a very significant uh, annual celebration of birth for, that, for for a group of people. That's correct. They were, uh, they, were, they were birthed and brought forth into the world from... Set, po- set forth upon the Tun Tavern in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1775. And yes. if you know what we're talking about, look it up. Put one out for your homie. So just remember, the truth exists, but you don't.